Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. An Erio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Before we get started, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge what is going on right now in our country. I think it's important that as a society, we are all taking time to reflect, to listen and support and educate ourselves on the struggle and, and the history of black people in this country. As someone who is not black, I'm, I'm looking to the people around me in my community, friends, and, and, and taking their lead. I think that many white people, as as well as non-black Latinos and Asians and other people of color that are not black, are looking around and not knowing what to do. And they're scared of saying the wrong thing or getting it wrong to the point of paralysis. But I know myself that I'm trying really hard to push through that, which means that I'm probably going to mess up. But... Uh, like they say, if, if you're not messing up, then you're probably not actually trying. So I encourage everyone to donate to causes and to show your support by taking active measures. I know that, uh, I I am doing that and, uh, Chris and Amanda are also doing that. Um, and we're going to include in the, uh, show notes links to some organizations that, 
we feel strongly about. And in, in case you're interested in knowing, we'll also be posting them on our Instagram page. So we are going to be releasing uh, the episodes that we had planned, but uh, just know that we are working on some new episodes and are trying to be very uh, socially conscious. So if you have any recommendations, please forward them to us. And now let's go to our interview with Susan Wells. She is the author of Amelia Earhart, The Thrill of It. Uh, She's going to talk to us about the disappearance of Amelia Earhart. Let's hear what she has to say. So I was thinking we could just get started with having you tell us a little bit about Amelia's upbringing. Well, Amelia was born in Atchison, Kansas, but she lived in lots of other places, including Kansas City, Des Moines, St. Paul, Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles. And as a kid, she was fearless and a real tomboy. She loved playing baseball and football, exploring caves, collecting bugs. And her mother always encouraged her freedom and sense of adventure. For example, she made a baby book for Amelia. And inside it, she wrote that, quote, Shakespeare has no heroes. He has only heroines. Wow. Yeah, she was uh, always praised to be very much her own person. Her father also encouraged her sense of adventure. He was a lawyer who worked for the railroads, and that's why they moved so much. But when Amelia was a teenager, unfortunately, he became a major alcoholic, and his problems broke up the family. What kind of adversity did Amelia face trying to become a pilot? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, When Amelia took her very first flying lessons in 1921, there were definitely more male pilots than females. But aviation wasn't at all close to women. In fact, Amelia's first flying teacher was a woman, and there was even a Pacific Coast Ladies Flying Derby that year. So women pilots were in the news, and they were actually attracting a ton of attention. In 1922, both the L.A. Times and the New York Times wrote articles about Amelia, an attractive student flyer who was piloting her own airplane. Um, And then in 1923, when she got her pilot's license, she was only the 16th woman in the world to do so. For the rest of her life, She was passionate about getting more women to fly. But I can't say that she actually experienced sexist adversity when she was trying to become a pilot. The airfield actually seems to have been a pretty friendly place that was really all about flying and the love of flying, much more than about gender. What what do you think... Did Lindbergh, uh, did did he really kind of push Amelia to uh, try to go outside of her comfort zone or... Or or was it just part of what was happening at the time? I think it's part of what was happening at the time. Of course, Lindbergh's flight was um, a a huge impetus for all kinds of pilots to try to do all kinds of crazy things. But interestingly, there were lots of women who were trying to replicate that flight across the Atlantic and to become the first woman to do so. It It was a really big deal, and there was a lot of money at stake. And women died trying to do it. Um, So when... Amelia was recruited to make the first flight by a woman across the Atlantic. She was, she was recruited to do so um, for publicity purposes. And, of course, there were going to be, you know, book opportunities after that. Um, it, it was a very, very big deal. So women flyers were very much in the news and doing all kinds of very dangerous things. Wow. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> um, yeah. So Amelia and her husband, uh, George uh, J.P. Putnam had an 
an unconventional relationship, especially for the time. Uh, him being her manager and publicist uh, uh, in the beginning. What, what was their relationship like and how involved was he in orchestrating um, her last grand adventure? Well, um, her husband's name was George Putnam, and everybody called him GP. And he was a publisher, and he had made a career out of publishing real-life adventure books by famous people like Charles Lindbergh. He was also an avid adventurer himself. Uh, then in 1927, he discovered Amelia, this, this woman pilot who was living in the Boston area, and decided to invite her to be the first woman to cross the Atlantic Ocean by airplane. And then after she did that successfully, Amelia became an international star, and he became her manager and publicist. He also became her lover, and they got married in 1931. But it's important to note that Amelia never really wanted to get married. She really thought that it was just like a cage. And right before she got married to GP, she wrote him a letter saying, in effect, that they would have to have an open marriage. He married her anyway, and the relationship definitely had its ups and downs. And I think, bottom line, she married him because her career depended on him. And as far as his involvement in orchestrating her last adventure, he was essential. Uh, GP was the one organizing all the logistics, raising all the money, and booking the speaking tours that she was supposed to go on when she got back. But things got very tense between them before she left, and there were actually rumors that she was planning to divorce him. I, I had not read about that. That's very uh, gossipy. <laughs> Did she have, um, did she, do you think that she felt pressure to take this trip around the world? Yeah, I think she felt terrible pressure for a bunch of reasons. Why, why do you think that was? What do you think it represented for her? Um, well, on a personal level, in 1937, flying around the world at the equator was really the ultimate challenge. No other pilots had done it. Um, others had flown around the world, but this was the longest route, and she really wanted to be the first person to fly it. Um, she felt terrible pressure, though, for a number of reasons. Um, the flight she disappeared on was actually her second attempt to fly around the world. The first attempt was two months earlier, and it had ended in a complete disaster. She originally planned to fly from east to west around the world, starting in California, but she had a horrible plane crash in Hawaii where the undercarriage of her plane was completely sheared off and the whole aircraft had to be taken apart and shipped back to Lockheed in California. It was really a catastrophe, but she definitely wanted to try again, despite the huge expense of all the repairs to her plane. She also had to do, uh, redo all the very expensive logistics for the flight. Since she would be taking off again in May instead of March, as originally planned, she was going to be facing different weather conditions around the world. So she decided to reverse her direction and fly from west to east, starting in Florida. All those changes were incredibly expensive, and she and GP weren't rich. So they were under enormous financial pressure. And Amelia also needed to make this trip to keep her name in the news. She was in the hero business. She made her money by setting records and then publishing books and going on lucrative speaking tours about them. There was a lot of pressure. Yeah, it feels like, you know, I, I've read a lot that she um, planned this to be her quote unquote final trip, although I just don't believe uh, that. I don't believe someone who is in the hero business can just say, 
oh, well, I, I'm, I'm retiring from it. Well, one interesting factor is that she suspected she was pregnant. Oh. Oh. And so her plan was that she confided to someone she knew um, that when, when she came back, she was going to uh, live a relatively normal life. That's what she was. That was what was in her mind. That's fascinating. Um, so how difficult was it to maneuver the kind of plane that Amelia was flying those days? Well, aviation had changed a lot since Amelia started flying. In the early days, um, many planes were made of wood, and they had canvas wings and rusty wires. They were just very dangerous and unstable. But planes gradually got better and more powerful. And by the time Amelia left on her last flight in 1937, she was piloting the best, fastest, and first fully pressurized multi-engine airplane in the world. It was a state-of-the-art plane called the Lockheed Electra, and it was able to fly faster than 200 miles an hour with a top range of 4,000 miles. So it was a long way from the rickety contraptions um, they were flying in the early 20s. And to give you an idea of just how far aviation had progressed by then, the very first commercial planes flew over the Atlantic Ocean only days after Amelia disappeared. So in a real sense, her time as a hero pilot was ending because the world was moving on from adventure flying. It was becoming normalized. I want to talk about after she crashes in Honolulu and um, then uh, she has Henry Manning uh, subsequently leave from her flight team. Did Amelia have any second thoughts about about going on this trip now that Manning, who was a a, a very key figure in this crew, would no longer be taking it with her? I don't think she had any second thoughts. In fact, I think the danger of it and all the obstacles even made it more attractive for her. She once wrote that doing things in spite of criticism and terrible difficulties made achievements even more thrilling for her. So she liked playing for the highest stakes. That's who she was. But as you mentioned, she told friends that this was going to be her last record-setting flight. And um, when she came back, she was going to live like a normal woman. Right. Sounds like she was very determined. Do you think that she made the right call by choosing Fred Noonan as her uh, then-navigator? That's an interesting question. On the plus side, Noonan was a famous airplane navigator, and he had already crossed the Pacific in a plane 18 times, although certainly not on the long route that he was taking with Amelia. But on the negative side, he was known as a heavy drinker. And even though that made him risky, Amelia was confident that she could handle him, I think because her father had been an alcoholic and so had been the pilot on her first flight across the Atlantic. So she felt that she could handle both of them and she thought she could handle Noonan. She planned to watch him like a hawk. But as it turned out, he got completely blitzed the night before they were supposed to cross the Pacific. So she postponed the flight a day and made sure he was sober. But a bigger problem, which Amelia probably wasn't thinking about, was that Noonan unlike Manning, didn't know Morse code. Mm. And neither did Amelia. Mm. That was a problem because in 1937, still, most ships and planes communicated exclusively in Morse code. Instead, Amelia and Noonan were planning to communicate with ships and aircraft by voice radio alone. But the fact was their radio skills, too, were extremely weak. So bottom line, no, I don't think she made the right call choosing Noonan. 
although I'm not sure that Manning would have been the right choice either. Oh, I mean, I had never put that two and two together, uh, the correlation between her dad and Noonan and her really thinking that she could uh, handle it. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense to me. And it also is, I, I, I didn't know that her uh, radio skills weren't as uh, as good as well. I compare it to... Um People who grew up using typewriters when the world shifted to personal computers. <laughs> How that generation, some people in that generation were a bit slow on the uptake. And similarly, Amelia, I don't think, realized how critical those new skills were to her flight. Um, and the reason is that when she first started flying, planes didn't have radios. Uh, when she flew across the Atlantic the first time in 1927, and she wanted to communicate a ship that they saw in the water below. What did she do? She wrote a note. She put it in a bag, stuffed a couple of oranges in it for ballast, and hurled it through the hatch of the plane. And he said, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that, was, that was plane ship communication in 1927. And in that case, of course, he missed completely, and it, it went far from the ship. Um, so that's, how she, that's what she knew when she started. And then the first time that she used radio on a major flight was when she flew solo from Oakland to Honolulu in 1935. Her plane had a radio telephone, and she was able to stay in two-way communication with ships and shore stations during the flight. She even heard GP talking to her from a radio station in Honolulu. But in 1937, when she was getting ready for her last flight, the Electra's radio equipment was new and complicated and a little troublesome. They were having problems with it. And worse, Amelia only spent one hour of training in how to operate the communication system. This is why it was like a generational shift, a technology shift. She just didn't, I don't think she really understood how crucial it was. And wow. And, and that was compounded by another, as it turned out, fatal mistake. She took the Morse code equipment off the plane because she wanted to reduce the weight. And she also took off a, rad a long radio antenna. So all in all, it was a scenario that was kind of ripe for disaster since they were relying on voice radio alone. They just didn't have the skills, they didn't have the equipment, and they didn't have the backup skills in Morse that would have enabled them to stay in contact with people who could tell them where they were and where they were going. So what, what do you think her relationship was um, at this point with Noonan before she leaves? Uh, you know, they spent 40 days traveling together, and they're about to take off for the Howland Islands. What is this relationship like? You mentioned that he had already um, gotten drunk the, the night before they were supposed to leave. Well, before that, especially in the early part of the trip, they had actually become pals. So Amelia was sitting in the pilot seat, and... Noonan was working in the back of the plane in the navigation area, and they would communicate with each other by passing notes clipped to a fishing pole. And sometimes he sat up with her in the cockpit, and he actually wrote to his wife that Amelia was what he called a grand person and the only woman flyer he would ever make that kind of trip with because she could take hardships as well as a man, and she worked as hard as one. But things started to go south between them when they reached India. Um, Amelia called GP from Calcutta to tell him that she was starting to have what she called personnel problems. 
And that was code for the fact that Newman had started drinking. And then, of course, he got plastered the night before they were supposed to take off for Howland. So how, how did they prepare for that trip? Um, because I, I, I'm assuming they knew it was going to be the most difficult leg of their journey. So what kind of preparations did they put into place? Well, they involved the U.S. government. Uh, uh, the, the government built uh, an airstrip on Howland for them. They you know, enlisted all kinds of technical and expert help. Uh, and Amelia always liked to over-prepare because that was her way of handling fear. But as I mentioned, she underprepared in one vital way. Um, communication technology had changed so much since she started flying, um, but she just didn't keep up with it, and she didn't pay as much attention to it as she should have. It seems like a, a huge oversight. I mean, I guess hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But <laughs> at the moment, it feels huge. It was, and, it, and I think I think it was one of the fatal mistakes that led to her her disappearance. So in, in your opinion, what do you think happened to Amelia and Fred? Well, I think in the end, really, it was their lack of radio skills and Morse code skills that doomed this, their flight and doomed them. Um, they had had radio problems in Darwin, Australia. And then when they left on their last leg to Howland Island, um, they had more problems. Amelia was able to send voice messages, but she didn't seem to be able to receive them. So she was never able to establish two-way communication during her flight, and that was a deadly problem. Um, she sent her last radio transmission at 8.43 a.m. on July 2nd, 1937, after more than 20 hours in the air, with very little fuel left in the plane. And as to what happened after that, there are two major schools of thought. One is the crashed and sank theory, that they ran out of fuel and ditched in the Pacific sinking 17,000 feet to the bottom of the ocean. The other major theory is that she landed her plane on a coral island, which is now called Nicomaroro, and that they survived there for a while before dying from thirst, food, poisoning, injury, or infection. And I think there's strong circumstantial evidence for that theory. Although there's never been a smoking gun, one organization called the, the International Group for Historic aircraft recovery, has done many expeditions out to that island, which was uninhabited when Amelia disappeared. They found a woman's personal item dating from the 1930s, and earlier witnesses found other evidence, including bones that may be consistent with Amelia's skeleton. I know that Amelia did practice landing her aircraft on a beach, and she told a friend that there were always lots of ships passing by islands in the Pacific. Of course, there weren't. But I think it's plausible that she chose to land her plane instead of ditching and drowning in the ocean. Interesting. I, I, yeah, I, it, it definitely sounds it, logical. I mean, if I was Amelia, I think I'd try my best to do that. So am I assuming that if you had to pick something that was to blame for the disappearance of Amelia Earhart, what would that be? Would it be lack of communication? Well, I think I'd put a number of things up on the board. <laughs> I, I think I would definitely put GP up there. He definitely contributed to the tension and Amelia's inattention before she took off on that last flight. I'd also put up the hero business, the pressure on her to set records and then make money off them. There's no question that financial pressures factored into her decision to make that flight. I would also put up the U.S. Navy. After she disappeared, the Navy conducted the largest sea rescue ever attempted for a missing flyer 
They covered 250,000 square miles in every direction around Howland Island. And in the course of that search, planes saw signs of recent human habitation on an island in the Phoenix Group, where Niku Maroto is. But they never went back to check it out. And if Amelia was on that island, chances are that she was still alive when they made that flyover. Most of all, I think I would put Amelia herself up on the board because she always prided herself on doing exactly what she wanted to do. And this fight, bottom line, was her decision. It was her own inattention to training a new radio technology that helped lead to her disappearance. She just wasn't as prepared as she should have been. But I think Amelia herself, who was always a fatalist, would put up on the board the man with a little black book, who she said has a date marked down for all of us when our work is done. So you think she just, she knew it was coming. It would eventually come in one of her adventures. Yes, and she was prepared for it to come now. She asked a journalist before she took off what he thought her odds were of making it, and she said, he said 50-50, and she agreed with him. And she said the one thing that she was really afraid of was growing old. So she took her glasses, and she made her bets. What do you think about um, putting up on the board the pressure of turning 40? I don't know that 40 by itself was a number that would have scared her. I think 60, 70, 80 might have been. Um, but I think she was, you know, it was such a dangerous occupation to be a flyer. I mean, from the very beginning, possibly especially in the very beginning, um, people were dying all the time in these flimsy little machines. So she always knew, and in fact, um, before she made her flight across the Atlantic in 1927, she wrote popping off letters to her mother and father that were very casual, saying, hey, you know, if I die, I die, but, you know, I did it doing what I wanted to do. This was, this was who she was. It was her attitude. So um, I, think, I think Amelia would take it on herself. Yeah, it sounds like she really took risks and she stood by them and was an inspiration as she, you know, well-deserved inspiration. Yeah, and I think that if she were alive today, she would still be way ahead of her time. Yes, yes. Well, Susan, thank you so, so much for talking to us today. And before we go, if you could just tell our listeners where they can uh, go to find more information on your book, that would be great. Sure. Uh, my book is called Amelia Earhart, The Thrill of It, and you can buy it online through it, one of those major book retailers. Well, thank you so much, Susan. Great to talk, Rebecca. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. With us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hello, Rebecca. And fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. Now, what did you guys think about this, uh, what Susan had to say about Amelia Earhart? First, uh, right off the bat, we need to talk about her being pregnant. Oh my God, bun in the oven in the plane. (laughs) Yeah, that was a true shock to me. Mm-hmm. I can't, I'm, I cannot believe it. Me neither. And I know this is going to, you know, I, I can't say this because of, because of sexism, but was <laughs> but it, here was, you go. Is, but was, was mommy brain to blame? <laughs> oh my God. Chris. You are not the person to, I, you cannot put that up on the board. Guys, I'm just kidding. If you would see me, you know, I'm only joking around. He's got his hands up in the air. I'm like, not just like the a fact what? checker. I'm the fun checker. Oh God. <laughs> no, that's, that's. But I got to say, it must've been very uncomfortable if she was pregnant to be traveling under those circumstances. I mean, uh, I don't know. I've never been pregnant. I can't speak to it, but I, I you know, it, it just uncomfortable like you a lot of my friends who are pregnant have to pee every i don't know half an hour so right and they say the first trimester is is the hardest we don't know what trimester she was in well mm. she wasn't showing right that's true that's i true. don't know <laughs> i mean so okay so, sorry just quick um offshoot what is the bathroom situation in a plane when you're doing sort of 20 hour Good question. Well, those planes didn't have bathrooms. Well, right. That's my point. (laughs) (laughs) I think you go to the back. I think you probably, she probably had to be like, hey, Fred, can you hold the steering wheel? And then she goes to the back and pees. Or she just has like a a bottle that she pees into while she's driving the plane. These are speculations. Totally speculations. I am now on DuckDuckGo and I typed in old plane pee. So I should get... (laughs) to the bottom of this uh-oh i'm being directed to porn porn sites <laughs> okay so does amelia Earhart possibly being pregnant does that change our verdict no i don't think so i don't think that if anything she would have tried even harder right to to 
I, I don't think her pregnancy is what caused the disappearance is all I'm saying. But should it well, make us give her more or less of a break when it comes to her culpability or should it unaf- not affect it at all? I think it should probably shouldn't affect it at all. And especially because Susan really didn't focus too much on that. She brought up a lot of other good points that could be areas mm. of focus, sort of like uh, helping some of our cases. Like in particular, I would say um, her, the technology. Yeah, that uh, was the a changing, big one. The shifting technology of planes and the bad timing and how she wasn't adapting to that technology. Yeah, like her just taking, doing like a one hour uh uh, what is it like a tutorial on yeah. how to do a radio you know work the radio on the plane that to me is like big faux pas no yeah I think so it's actually kind of it's really negligent in a way and also the, the something else she said that didn't really hit home with me the first time we had this discussion about Amelia Earhart was how risky flying the equator really was because to me I was like oh she's doing something people have done before it's kind of old hat but really because she was flying the equator it was the longest route so it really was sort of a a feat that no one had done before that had, you know, extra risk involved. So I don't think that really um, had sunk in with me until I heard it from her. Right. And um, th- yes, exactly. And also the, the whole info and uh, everything she was talking about with noon and being a drunk too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if, but really like if you're dealing with a pregnancy, if you're like, Oh, that's on my mind. And there's like physical demands that, and then there's also like a drunk dude who like is in charge of you, like where you, the direction you're going in. Yeah. That's like, really that annoying. A, that's gotta be weighing on you. I thought what she said, uh, something she said that was interesting was w- when she discussed how she thought she could control Noonan because of her past experience with her dad right. also, mm. uh, being an alcoholic. Uh, that to me was very interesting. Yeah, definitely interesting. I think she got in over her head a little bit. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it sounds like, you know, she was, and we kind of mentioned this in when we were talking about it, but she maybe felt like she was wanted to push through, even though maybe the trip at a certain point, due to Noonan's behavior, um, due to, you know, whatever, the Morris Code thing should have been called off. But she, you know, for whatever external pressures, internal pressures, she didn't make the choice to call it off. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And and she she also coined a term that I thought was really good, but I'm forgetting now. What was it called hero? Something hero? Oh, yeah. The hero... Um challenge uh oh darn should i look it up really hashtag the hero challenge on instagram (laughs) um everybody (laughs) everybody has to like climb a tree to um say like or is that or is that when you and your uh like partner she climbs over you and then she climbs through like under your legs and (laughs) that's i think the panda challenge that's the panda yeah we got to figure out what the hero the hero challenge is you fly around the world on the equator yeah Yeah, exactly exactly. (laughs) really but but do it all while holding the uh instagram live yeah Or like that car challenge where yeah. they, they like yeah. get out of the car and dance next to the moving car. It, I wonder if they did that with planes. Uh, it's, uh, it's, I mean, they do. They used to strap people to the top of them. And 
Oh, that's true. Is it called the hero uh, cause complex? She had some, she had hero some complex. term for well, uh, it. Yeah, now we're forgetting it, it. But um, but yeah, that, that you, you're saying that she would have gone above and beyond. Like nothing was going to stop her because she had this hero. Right. Yeah, I know what you mean. It was like she was she was um, hero business maybe she's, she in, the she's in the hero that's business that's right oh I so see oh that's interesting the, yeah if you're in the hero business then she she had to do what she had to do she had right. to keep upping her game right exactly it's like when you're a Kardashian like you have to like make up drama so that like the, the tabloids still follow you around it's I thought you were gonna say you have to wear makeup. Or I, I was Both. actually gonna about to say you have to make a sex tape, but I, <laughs> but I diverted from that course. But, but you just have to but like. You still like, said it. They rely on tat. Well, yeah, I did, didn't I? Um, no, plenty of Kardashians have not made a sex tape and are doing just fine. That's so right, that, Chris. Um, but uh, no, I just mean like you know the tabloids. They have to. You have to. You have to make splashy headlines, and that was the business she was in. She was in the hero yeah. business. I thought that was a really good term that uh, yeah i I wish we had thought of that term because that would have looked really good on the board instead of publicity stunts Mm. yeah but it's sort of the same idea it Mm -hmm. is so are you you like still that we sent publicity stunts do we all stand by that yeah i think i think hero business kind of encompasses it a little bit better but really it's it's the need to for her to do a publicity stunt to continue on her hero business so i i think i still stand by it yeah, I like it too. Um, and and I think, unfortunately, I do think that Fred, she and Fred still still should get the big slap. Okay. I mean, there was a moment when I first heard she was pregnant that I sort of clutched my pearls and said, oh, what have we done? We've slapped a pregnant woman. But you know what? We have to, it has to be equal opportunity at the alarmist. So we don't know how many of the people we've sent to jail have been pregnant. Right. It's I, possible. I would say most of them are men. So I don't think any of them. <laughs> There's got to be a woman in there, right? <laughs> yeah. I think if we really dig, I mean, we'd have to do a little bit of research, the, but we could yeah, find Yeah, we did a woman. send the entire Texas prison system. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> British uh, government publicity st- there are women in pl- publicity stunts sure. that's oh, for sure that's true <laughs> but I love that you are wearing your pearls even during quarantine yes that is <laughs> I'm in respectful I'm in full pearls every day <laughs> <laughs> but again that's speculation too we don't know for a fact that she was pregnant so yeah, that's true um, yeah so I think that settles it we're sticking to our guns is that the term yeah that's the proper term okay uh and uh we're not changing we will not revoke publicity stunts no okay the verdict stands that's right great so everyone we're signing off (laughs) you want to tell them what we're doing next week um or that's right yeah real quick if you guys want to reach out with your thoughts uh you can email us at the alarmist podcast at gmail.com leave us a voicemail at 844-370-8643 
And please reach out to us with recommendations on tragedies that you think we should be covering. Uh, we want tragedies from all over the world. And uh, your your recommendations have been really helpful, and we encourage them. And also follow us on Instagram at the Alarmist Podcast at G. Oh, that's not at Gmail. It's just at the Alarmist Podcast. <laughs> that would be funny if our Instagram <laughs> handle was at the Alarmist. That was our email address. That actually would be good. That's sort of smart. Cross yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and follow us on Twitter at Alarmist the. And of course feel free to leave us a voicemail. Right, Amanda? Please, for the love of God, leave us a voicemail. <laughs> and I have to say that we um, have been getting some nice ratings and reviews. We're still at four stars, which I don't, I'm not great at math, but people have been reviewing saying Amanda begging me to review finally broke me down. And so I'm just going to one more time do just like a quick beg. Um, if you have a mm-hmm. moment and you have the mental bandwidth right now, uh, Give us a little review, um, and it really helps the podcast. And we do read them all, and we we love hearing from you. So, so if you got the time, take a beat, send us a five star review. Thank you very much. Now, thank I'll, you. They're now very go much. Home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're very much appreciated. Um, okay, well, tune in next week. We're going to be discussing the space shuttle Challenger disaster. It's a big one, and uh, we're going to be talking about it. Erios. Powered by ACAST. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.